Hey y'all, I just want to give a trigger warning for this episode as there are talks of extreme violence and sexual assault. So listen at your own discretion. Hey y'all, I'm your host Damage and welcome to another episode of Rewatch, a podcast where I binge your favorite shows as fast as I can. We spun a wheel and landed on the ABC hit drama series Scandal. This week we'll be covering season three that spanned 18 episodes. Now originally season three was supposed to be 22 episodes, but because Miss Washington was pregnant during the second part of the season, they cut it down to 18. And if you look real good, you can definitely catch some bumps during the second half of the season. Out of the three seasons I've watched so far, I think this one to me is my favorite. This season was so thick, like there was 50 11 different storylines going on, and I'm gonna try to hit them all. Y'all, it's not that many, but it was a lot for real. I got my notes backed up, and I'm ready to go. All right, let's get into it. I've said it once, and I'll say it again there will be spoilers. The first episode of the season continues from the point where she gets in the car. Olivia and her dad are driven to an airplane hangar. Now when I tell you, he lectures her so hard. He calls her mediocre and gives her the speech that every black kid has had about having to be twice as good to get half of what they have. He's gotten her a private plane that will take her anywhere she wants to go, as long as it's up out of here. He's offered her the chance at a new life away from all the drama DC has brought to her life. She boards the plane and as it's leaving the hangar, Liv calls her BFF Cyrus to say goodbye one last time. On the call, he begs and pleads with her not to leave and the sole reason why she stays is because and this part made me giggle y'all he said please don't run because he'll think i had you killed like that's her motivation is oh yeah i guess i won't leave since he'll think you know you offed me she climbs off the plane and tells off her dad and heads straight to OPA. At OPA, the crowd of reporters is still outside and Huck and the rest of the team rush her in. The phone has been ringing off the hook all morning from current clients calling to fire them over this controversy. With Liv now there, the team starts fielding phone calls to beg and plead clients not to leave them. Meanwhile, while OPA is freaking out, the White House is also in a panic. Cyrus is trying to find out who leaked her name to the press. Apparently, the reporter got her info from a bar where all the Secret Service guys like to hang out, and somebody had some loose lips. Millie asks her trusted Secret Service agent, Hal, if he's leaked it, and he says he did talk about it, but he never leaked a name. And just to spray some gas on the fire, some civilians post a video catching Fitz leaving Olivia's apartment late at night one time. Cyrus, being Liv's friend, doesn't want to out her secrets, but it seems like he's being backed into a corner. And he orders communication aide Janine Locke to start a kill folder on her, which is basically digging up all the nitty gritty details of her life. In this folder, we find some pretty interesting things about Olivia. He learns that Olivia's mom died when she was 12, and after that, she never returned back Back to the family's home. We also learn that Olivia has quite the affinity for powerful older men. I mean, like, who doesn't? Just kidding. Uh, I'd take the powerful part over the other part. In the next scene, we see Olivia picking up a cell phone and using a security code named Providence, and then we see what happens after it's approved. Like, five or six limos at once leave her apartment going in all different directions, and we don't know which one Olivia is in, and neither does the press. And then when we see her arriving at a highly secured bunker, when she gets to her steel pod, doors open and in front of her is none other than Fitzgerald Grant. He yells at her for using the Providence key because now in case of an actual emergency, he won't be able to save her. The key was originally supposed to be used in 
cases of nuclear war or deadly virus apocalypse type stuff, you know? A few minutes later, Millie joins them in the chamber. Liv essentially called this meeting so she could figure out how they were going to handle this situation. Fitz, of course, wants to tell the truth and admit to the affair. He wants to tell everybody about the relationship. And Millie, of course, shoots this down because what he's describing is not just an affair. It's him being in love with another woman. And there's no way either of them could come back from that. So the group agrees to a reasonable story. They were together on inauguration night and once again after the assassination attempt. As they were making adjustments to the story and denying their love, you could see the heart-shaped bullets bouncing off both of them and the pain you can see on their face can never be hidden. Fitz is happy with the story because it's partially the truth. They did hook up those two times, you know, just a bunch of times in between. Millie leaves and Fitz and Liv are alone in the bunker and he does what a good boyfriend should do and he asks her how she's handling this because obviously any normal person would be falling apart. She pretends to be okay for a second but then eventually breaks down into tears. Fitz hugs her and they have their one minute. Now we know Millie was never too keen on this plan so what happens next was kind of shocking but very much in character for the boss first lady that she is. Millie wants to bring in outside help for help with a backup plan and her outside help turned out to be OPA excluding Olivia obviously. Millie has happened upon a video of the aforementioned Janine Locke in a drunken stupor talking about how hot she thinks the president is and with that the associates of OPA frame her as the president's actual mistress. Olivia finds out what the team did and she's obviously pissed because they framed an innocent woman. She is not down for that. Janine Locke is now OPA's newest client and they're representing her against the White House slander. I also want to add this side note, but the girl who plays Janine Locke is the woman who low-key killed Derek Shepard from Grey's Anatomy. You know, perfect penny killed my husband. That one. Anyway, Fitz finds out what Melly did and is upset about it. And in his anger at the situation, she tells him that she figured out that he was the one who leaked Olivia's name to the press. She said she should have known her idealistic, romantic, optimistic, idiotic husband is the only one who would have benefited from this happening. Turns out that Fitz's Secret Service agent Hal did not leak the information. He just blabbed about somebody having an affair in the White House. And then his trusted Secret Service agent Tom is the one who gave the reporter the name. Y'all, this was literally his plan so he could admit his affair and everything and eventually bring in Olivia to the White House. He really is this down bad. He thought that it was going to work. Come on, Fitzy, we live in the real world and America still hates cheaters. Like, I still can't see a post about Alicia Keys without the comments talking about how she stole that woman's husband. Ciao, anyways. After the Elitz fire has been put out, Cyrus goes home to find his husband in bed with Charlie, the killer, slash PI, slash B613 agent. But they are in bed the way you think. James is unconscious because Charlie injected him with something. Now, Charlie has a flair for the dramatic, so he's literally only chilling on the bed because he thinks it's funny and pointing the gun at Cyrus because he needs to take him to go see Rowan, aka Liv's dad. Cyrus is shaking in his boots thinking he's about to get got when Liv's dad walks in and just raises his security clearance so they can discuss a classified file known as Operation Remington. Now, this was a great opener coming off the finale of season two. This episode was great. We got the drama of Liv being exposed and everyone panicking, trying to figure out how to handle it. We got to see Liv and Millie and Fitz confront the affair out loud which is always a treat because on all sides everyone's in pain 
we got to see a good old fashioned setup and then we got to have a nice mystery that sets us up for the rest of the season. Definitely a 10 out of 10 opener. Now, time for the favorites. Now this season made me feel some things that I haven't felt in the previous two. I felt love and excitement and power radiating from this series, but this season brought me some sadness. So I've decided to add another category and that is going to be the saddest episode. And this time I'm choosing two because there were two episodes that hit me right in the gut. And the first was episode three entitled Mrs. Smith Goes to Washington. The firm takes on a new client who sends over 25K because she wants them to handle a family matter of hers. The client has a meeting in the Capitol, so Liv decides to head over to meet with her. The team also also asks where's Huck and apparently he's taking a personal day since he found out that Olivia's father is the big bad command which is the guy who runs B613 and pretty much stole his life from him. I guess he deserves a little bit of time off. The team doing what they do which is digging up all the info they can on clients so they can help them finds out that Mrs. Nesbitt's son was killed 15 months ago in an FBI raid. The apartment where he was killed was linked to a terrorist organization. As Liv is trying to find Mrs. Nesbitt at her meeting, she goes into an office and it's seemingly empty. But then when she goes to the private offices of the congressman there, she happens upon a room full of people, including Mrs. Nesbitt, who unfortunately has a bomb strapped to her chest. Just like most hostage situations, the phone starts ringing and Liv being Liv is going to facilitate the whole thing through the hostage negotiator. Mrs. Nesbitt wants her son's file declassified and she wants him exonerated because she knows that her kid can never be a terrorist. Olivia convinces Mrs. Nesbitt to let the hostages go as a show of good faith so the negotiator can work on getting her needs met. So the only people remaining in the room are the congressman, Olivia, and Mrs. Nesbitt. While they're waiting for things to happen on the outside, Olivia asks where she got the bomb and she simply replies that she found a recipe online and bought everything over the internet and then used her motherly sewing skills to put it together on a vest. Now, because this is such a big deal, I mean, it's literally a bomb threat in the middle of the Capitol. The president of the United States is obviously involved behind the scenes. Fitz gets access to her son's file and he gives the go ahead for snipers to take out Mrs. Nesbitt if they can. She walks over near the window and the snipers have a clear eye on her. Harrison, who's outside watching the negotiators and is on the phone with Olivia, lets her know that they're gearing up to take their shot. Olivia rushes over to the window and exposes herself so they know not to shoot. And obviously because Fitz is running point, he tells everyone to stand down because he is not letting his girlfriend get blown up. While Harrison is outside, a woman claiming to be FBI shows him a video of Miss Nesbitt's son in some terrorist recruitment video. Abby enlists the help of David Rosen, her little boo thing, to declassify the file for them. And the next thing you know, the phone rings again and Olivia picks it up and on the line there is David Rosen, Cyrus, and the President of the United States. Fitz tells Olivia not to react as he explains what happened to Mrs. Nesbitt's son. Her son, Chris, was a CIA spy who was an undercover terrorist recruiter to gain access to their cells. He was taken out by an FBI agent who didn't know he was undercover. Her son was not a traitor and he was an American hero. But unfortunately, his mother can never know the truth. If the truth ever did come out, 57 undercover agents would be tortured and put to death. Olivia is staring at this woman who quite literally is risking everything to clear her son's name and has to decide if she'll tell the truth or not. Olivia wants to be a good person, but either way it goes, the lie or the truth, it's heartbreaking. It's an impossible choice. 
Olivia decides to lie. She tells her that Chris was a terrorist. Chris's mother becomes distraught and breaks down into tears. She knows now that it's time to let everyone go and gifts herself up. She thanks Liv and apologizes to the congressman and they head out of the office together. But once Liv and the congressman step out of the room, Mary runs back into the office and kaboom. She sets off the bomb and once the smoke clears, we see that everyone else is safe. Back at the White House, Fitz and Millie are having a conversation about what happened today. He literally tells her that he believes that she would have been happy if Olivia would have been blown into pieces. Millie counters by saying that she would much rather have her alive because as long as she's alive, she's her husband's flaw. And Olivia is the one thing she can use to pull Fitz's strings and make him act right. And that's where I'm going to end this episode because I only wanted to focus on the main storyline. Yes, some other stuff happened, but all the rest of it gets brought up in this season anyway. So it's not really relevant to bring it up now. Now, I put this as my saddest episode because it truly was. I'm not a mother, but I have a mother. Now, my mother wouldn't strap a bomb to herself. It's just not how she rolls. But if she felt like I was being framed, I truly believe that she would step up for me just the way that any mother should. Chris's mother died believing that her son could do do one of the worst things in the world and be a terrorist. I'm sure that knowing that the sweet child that you raised to be a good person could do something that hurts so many people. I can imagine the guilt and the shame and devastation that she felt and that would make her want to go back into that room and join her son. And the fact that we know the truth that her son was exactly the person who she raised him to be and that he was a hero, but she'll never have her peace knowing this. There weren't many options for her as we know. It was either tell the truth or risk the lives of 57 people for the truth of one already dead person. And we see how the lie ended up with two dead people. Now this one was sad, but this next one, I literally just wanna say by the end, I was in tears and I'm gonna run through it pretty quick. Season three, episode 14 called Kiss 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 bang bang but first I need to tell y'all what happened in episode right before so episode 13. David Rosen and James Cyrus's husband and two women are meeting to discuss the murder of a character whose name I'm not gonna tell you yet because I'm holding them for another episode mentioned but anyway back to it essentially the murder of this person can't ever be revealed for political purposes obviously and in the final scene of episode 13 we see Jake introduce interrupting the group and he shoots both of the women in the head and shoots either David or James and the episode ends right there. 14 opens up with Jake still pointing the gun at James and David and James takes off running and Jake shoots him in the back. Jake leaves David alive because he needs him to cover James's murder for him, and he does as he's told. The shooting has been staged as a carjacking gone wrong. Olivia is at the White House trying to comfort her friend Cyrus, who doesn't seem to be too tore up about James's death. Like, it's evident that he's trying to distract himself from his own feelings, and it seems to be working. He comes up with a new campaign strategy for Fitz to become pro-gun control. A pro-gun control Republican? Anyway, but because he was shot in the head last season and the fact that Cyrus's husband was gunned down last night. And then we start to get some flashbacks of the time of where Cyrus and James first meet and how they fell in love. The whole time, Cyrus is trying to make it through his day with more and more distractions, and he almost makes it until he talks to the press about James's murder. James was the press secretary, so normally this would be his job to address the public about White House-related manners. While he's talking to the press and confirms that James's killer had been taken into custody, 
custody. He gets a flashback of him and James dancing at a political dinner, being the first time they would have been seen in public together. And this is the part that makes me cry, y'all. It cuts back to Cyrus just being frozen on the stage in front of all these reporters. And he starts to wail. Like this grown man is crying crocodile boohoo tears. And I just started crying because I guess I have this thing now where I start crying all of a sudden when other people are crying. But it was so sad. Like we'd seen James in so many episodes trying to do what's right all the time and be a good person. And then he gets killed because somebody wanted to stop him from being a good person. There's something about the cries of a grown man that are just triggering. And then Cyrus is just standing there on the stage wailing on national TV and his friend Fitz is there to comfort him and walk him off the stage. Then the episode decides to jump back to the night that James was killed. Jake has loaded the two bodies of the women into the trunk of his car and he walks over to James and flips him over and talks to him as he dies. Jake says he's sorry for not making his death a quick one because he had to do it this way so it would look like the murder was done by a carjacker. He tells him that his death will be slow and painful but he'll stay with him so he won't die alone. Jake assures James that his daughter will be okay and James looks up at him, takes one last breath and he dies. At this point y'all I'm still in tears because I wasn't prepared to see James die and I wasn't prepared for Jake to attempt to comfort him as he dies. Like I can't even decide if this was a service or a disservice to him. Like to try to comfort the man you just killed feels icky. All right y'all try to wipe your tears away because now let's get into my favorite episode of the season. Now this episode I was so torn between making my favorite or my most shocking and I've decided to make my favorite because the other one I feel like is definitely more shocking. Okay so here we go. Episode 9 is going to be my favorite appropriately titled YOLO and yes it was 2014. Now I knew this episode was gonna be good right off the bat because from this point literally no episode had a content warning but this one did. It didn't specify what kind of content but I just knew it was gonna be something crazy going down and literally in the first 10 minutes are wild. The episode opens up with Huck and Quinn inside her apartment and he's about to torture her like he's got her taped up and laid down on plastic. He's never tortured anybody he's cared about before so he apologizes to her for what he's about to do and then he licks her face like that was the creepiest face lick I've ever seen not that I've seen a lot but it was definitely weird he takes the tape off of her mouth because he's about to yank out one of her teeth but just as he's about to do that his phone rings and it's Olivia telling him that her mother is alive after thinking she's been dead for 22 years her call saves Queen in the nick of time or so we thought we see the relief in Quinn's eyes and then he decides to tell her oh we can have a quick one because YOLO and then he yanks out one of her teeth anyway right before he leaves when Huck joins the rest of the group with Liv's mother she's telling them how she escaped this phrase sends Jake and Huck into a panic and Jake takes a knife to the back of Maya Olivia's mom's neck and cuts out a tracking device because no one escapes command. They know that they have a little time and they hurry up and dip out and get to a safe house. Once they get to the safe house, Olivia is trying to arrange plans to get her mother sent to Hong Kong to get away from her father. Harrison goes to his contact who can get her some fake papers to get out of the country. And the contact is actually Grey's Anatomy's Maggie Pierce. Shonda sure does know how to recycle. That's for sure. Olivia's plan gets derailed 
as her mother is put onto a no-fly list under a name her dad made. Abby goes to David to try to have him use some of his U.S. attorney clout to get her name removed, but he simply does not have enough power to do so. Jake knows that Liv's mom will never be safe until Command, aka Liv's dad, is dead, so he and Fitz come up with a plan, and Jake gets the okay to raid Rowan's hideout, and boom, an explosion happens because they booby-trapped the place, obviously. Charlie, who nearly escapes the explosion with his B613 counterparts, runs out to find Quinn, because I guess they're technically dating at this point in the series, and when he goes to her apartment, he finds her after what Huck did to her. Olivia, knowing that she doesn't have many options left, decides to call her main man Fitz. He promises to help her with her mother. A little bit later, after Fitz helps everything get arranged, Olivia is placing Maya on a government plane out of the country. After a push from Abby, Liv hugs her mother goodbye, but once Maya is on the plane, Olivia remembers that her mom got a call the day she left from a man looking for a Marie, Marie Wallace to be exact, and that happens to be the name that her dad used to label Maya as a terrorist. Olivia then realizes that her father has been trying to protect her all along and that he hasn't been the monster. mother is and they just helped her get away. Meanwhile, back at the White House, Sally is gearing up to start her secret election running plans. Her campaign manager, Leo, pushes Sally to abandon her core beliefs to say she's pro-choice. Otherwise, she won't get the women's vote during her run for presidency. This scene was funny, and I don't think it was supposed to be funny. Seeing her trying to abandon this belief was so funny. She's just like, I can't just give it up. It's the principle. God, and blah, blah, blah. And it, it was it was just funny trying to see her rationalize this. And Leo simply tells her, you're going to lose if you don't. Women are not going to vote for you if you're not pro-choice. Sally tells her husband, Daniel Douglas, of her plans to run again, and he freaks out because he recently just cheated on her and with none other than James Novak, the husband of Cyrus. Now, let me give you some context to this. Essentially, Cyrus pimped out his husband because he had a feeling that Daniel Douglas was gay and that he would hit on James. And by the time Sally ran, he could expose these photos and get her to resign from the race. So Cyrus hired a photographer to spy on James and Daniel. But once James realized that he was being set up, he hooked up with Daniel Douglas out of spite. Anyways, Daniel Douglas is trying to beg James to not write an article outing him because he wants to protect his wife's legacy. And also because he thinks he's not gay. He like thinks that this time didn't count or something. Anyways, Cyrus is completely devastated that James could do this to him, even though it's exactly what he set him up to do in the first place. But he still confronts James about him cheating. James tells him that he wants a divorce and Cyrus threatens to leak the pictures. Their argument is ended when a furious Fitz summons Cyrus to the White House over the Sally debacle because Cyrus told Fitz that he'd take care of it and Sally just told him that he's running. Millie reads between the lines and figures out what happened with Cyrus because he's tearing up. Cyrus asks her how she dealt with the whole Fitz and Liv thing all these years and she tells him that he'll get through this and he'll be numb inside, but he'll be fine. Cyrus decides to make light of the situation and goes to Sally with the photos. She's shook for a second, but then doesn't bend to his extortion attempt. Sally calls his bluff, knowing that doing so would be mutually assured destruction for both of their campaigns. Cyrus goes home and lies and tells James that he won't ever show the photos to Sally, and he begs for his forgiveness. He says that no one will ever see them and that he should consider them as burned. Quinn goes 
with Charlie to meet Command, Liv's dad again, she switches sides and she wants to join B613. Though she's hiding a syringe in her pocket during the meeting, which possibly means that she made a deal with Huck earlier, but she ends up not using it. In the final scene, Sally Langston, with trembling voice, calls Cyrus to let him know that she has committed a sin. The camera pans wide and we see Daniel Douglas's dead body behind her on the floor and I guess we can figure out which sin she's committed. I'm sure you could see why this episode was my favorite this season. This thing was all over the place. I didn't even tell y'all how Liv's mom escaped and this is incredibly violent guys so just be prepared. She slit her own wrist by using her teeth. She literally just bit her own wrist until she passed out from the blood loss and then she killed the doctor to escape the prison. I feel like that action definitely makes more sense now that we know that she's a villain. Huck torturing Quinn was also so terrible. Like, it literally ruined her after that. She quit OPA and and got into this weird animalistic fling with Huck where I think she ended up licking his face too. And yes, it was equally as gross. And I don't even want to talk about it. Ugh. And out of all the people to kill someone on this show, I never thought it would have been Sally. She was just so random. But I guess if you're uber religious and your husband cheats on you with your colleague's husband, I get how you'd snap. But like, why did she call Cyrus? That part makes no sense to me. They're low-key enemies right now. By the way, this is the murder that Jake was covering up when he killed James. And I just didn't want to spoil it for y'all too much. Moving along, now I've decided not to do a favorite character this season because honestly, they all suck. Everybody's terrible and none of them deserve my top spot as a favorite. But we definitely are doing the least favorite. And in my opinion, it's Liv's father, aka Command, aka Rowan, aka Eli Pope. He got a lot of names. This man stepped onto the scene and decided chaos would ensue from the moment we see him sprinkling in at the end of season two and everything was going awry like he had so many people killed and tortured and he uses the name of the republic to justify this like i get it to an extent but why he gotta be killing people all the time like killing people can't be the answer to everything like can't the government just pay some people off or send them to another country or something man he all but abandoned olivia as a child from the moment his wife died and by died i mean he had her flight shot down but in reality she's been in an underground maximum prison underneath a pseudonym like that's just outrageous why didn't he just kill her if he didn't like her this much he did all that just for her to get out of jail 22 years later and stir up some more mess and then he does the most unspeakable thing in the finale, which we'll get to later. All right, so I talked pretty much about everything. So now let's get into the most shocking episode, which like most episode ends up being the season finales, which they're designed to be this way. So we come back next season. And if they were boring, we'd have no series. And subsequently, we'd have no more rewatch. Okay, yeah, so boom. Episode 18 of the season is titled The Price of Free and Fair Elections. And I'm just now realizing that that title is literally on the nose because it sums up the entire episode. So there's a bomb that Olivia's mother had made and sold it to some bad guys because that's the kind of crime she's into. This bomb just happens to be at the church during a funeral of a senator. Turns out that Olivia's mom murdered this senator so he would have a funeral and all these political figures would show up and they could just, you know, blow the place. You know, how terrorists do the countdown is ticking and people are arriving to the church there's like 14 minutes before the bomb goes off 
at the White House, Fitz is chilling and finishing up his eulogy he's about to give at the funeral. And Sally is already there at the senator's funeral. Jake called Cyrus earlier to let him know about the bomb in the church, which is why Fitz is still at the White House because he's keeping him distracted. So he misses getting blown up. This guilt starts eating away at Cyrus. And just as he's about to say something, Jake storms in. He tells the president about what's going on and the church is evacuated mostly. Then boom, a bomb goes off. The big question is, did Sally survive? And of course she did. You can't get rid of her like that. That easy, at least. Sally's campaign manager, Leo, sees this as Sally's 9-11. The thing that's going to get her elected as president. Leo rubs some dust on her and rips her blouse a little bit for authenticity. And she springs into action, tending to the wounded. This is her moment. The world is watching Sally be a hero. And it's so encapsulating that all the major networks are ignoring Fitz's speech. Olivia trying to save Fitz's campaign is on the phone with the networks, making empty threats, but she knows that this is the end. Liv tells Fitz that there's no way that he's going to win the election after that display. Fitz comes to turn with the fact that he's going to lose, so he suggests to Olivia that they move to their Vermont home. Oh yeah, y'all, he had her a house built in Vermont, and it's gorgeous, and she can make jam there, and he's totally divorcing Millie, until Olivia tells him his wife's deep, dark secret that his father, Big Jerry, raped her 15 years ago. Fitz goes to his wife, and she assures him that the paternity test proved that he's the father of their son and not his dad. She also wants him to know that she fought. She fought as hard as she could. None of that matters to Fitz. Fitz takes her and holds her close, giving her the comfort that she's needed all of these years later. Liv and Fitz agree that he can't leave Melly right now, despite how much they love each other. Fitz is ready to give his last big political speech at his campaign rally, and Olivia heads back to her father's hospital room because her mom stabbed him a bunch in the previous episode. Maya is waiting for her in the hospital room and she tells Liv that she's leaving. Back at Fitz's rally, while he's giving his speech, his son Jerry is standing behind him and starts coughing up blood. Millie yells over the crowd for Fitz as their son collapses to the ground. He's rushed to the hospital where he dies of bacterial meningitis. Fitz is informed that the strain he contracts was under lock and key and that Maya Pope is behind this. Fitz's son was murdered. Millie and Fitz talk after she's been given a sedative. She's having regrets about her relationship with her son. For his whole life, she distanced herself from him because she was scared that he was Big Jerry's. And now that she knows that he wasn't, she knows she missed out on her chance. Olivia and Cyrus are talking and she feels bad because the first thing she thought about Jerry dying is that Fitz is going to win the election. Liv's dad doesn't like Fitz, but he knows what he he would do if someone hurt his child. He promises to get vengeance for him and to kill Maya Pope. Fitz gives him the go-ahead by reinstating him as command. Yes, he was fired a few episodes ago. Olivia is destroyed learning that her mom is the one who killed Jerry. She asks her dad if his offer to put her on a plane to get a new life is still on the table and he says yes and she wants to take Jake with her. Meanwhile, Huck and Quinn who have been weirdly and aggressively getting it on but not before she broke up with Charlie. So Charlie gives her a parting gift an envelope for Huck because he knows that what's in there will ruin their relationship whether she shows it to him or not. Quinn chooses to show Huck where the envelope led and that was to his family's house. Before Huck worked for Olivia he had a family and was in B613 which wasn't allowed. He was tortured until he forgot about them and now Quinn has unlocked that chamber in his mind which breaks him to his core as he stares at his 12 year old son and his wife. Rowan lets Fitz know that Maya has been taken and eliminated. He then gets a visit from Harrison, 
who's learned that Rowan is command again. Harrison realizes that Rowan is the one who killed the president's son and not Maya. He did it with the help of Secret Service agent and Secret B613 inside man Tom, who comes to the room pointing a gun and Rowan didn't kill Maya. She is stashed away in the torture hole that he kept Huck and Jake in. Jake gives David a going away present. Huge boxes full of B613 files with a note that says, go get the bad guys. The news announced that Fitz is the winner of the presidential election and everyone on the campaign staff is ecstatic. All Fitz can do is lie on the floor of the Oval Office and Millie walks in to check in on him and he asks for Olivia. Millie, being the good wife that she is, makes the call to live for him. Liv sees it and hits decline because the jet's about to take off with Jake by her side off to a new beginning and that ends season three. See, I told you it'd be twisty turny. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode and I hope some of you are watching along with me. If you aren't, this upcoming week is your time to catch up. I doubt you will be able to, but I have something special planned for next week, so just stay tuned. I just want to say thank you to you guys who've been sharing the pod. It's helping us find new listeners all over the world and I greatly appreciate it. Be sure to follow the podcast social media pages and share on them as well. Make sure you're following the podcast on Instagram at RewatchPod and Twitter at RewatchPod underscore for more content hit us up and feel free to recommend your favorite shows and lastly please rate the pod five stars anyways back to binging try and catch me